when you walked in, you, uh, you may have picked up an elder uh, candidate brochure. If you didn't, do not panic because they are in the for you as you go out, grab one as you leave. Um, and, and if you have it, I, I want you to hope, you know, read it, but don't read it now while I'm teaching. Read it when you get home. But you'll see uh, five elder candidates. We're in that process of uh, appointing uh, new elders, refreshing an elder board. Uh, you're going to hear me talk a lot about that uh, as I dive into the message today. Uh, eldership is about aspiration, it is about qualification, and it is about confirmation or appointment, as we'll hear Paul use these words and Luke use these words in the book of Acts today. Now, as you see these men presented, and I know you uh, uh, think this was mentioned last week, uh, what, what we're in right now is the qualification phase, and that is simply, are these men qualified based on what I'm getting ready to open this Bible up and uh, see what are the qualifications of an elder? But I want you to know this qualification process started months ago in private not in public, so that these men have been vetted, and now we as an elder board believe they are qualified as elders. But you may know something we don't. And the gravity of this is, um, it's public now that these we believe are vetted. And I want you to know this has happened where made a public presentation, but someone in the body has come forward and said, well, did you know this about this person? And uh, it really matters. I mean, that's how serious this is that uh, we've removed, had to remove someone, and it's, uh, it's pretty difficult to do when we feel like we've vetted them, but we, we may have missed something. So if you've got until the 9th of February, go online. There's a link there that you click and go, and you can give us you know, any feedback that you have that we need to follow up on. Just go on the website, and uh, we, we really want to hear from you. We also want you to get to know them, and they are going to be available on the 6th of February. I think it's a Tuesday evening. We'll be at the Brentwood campus in the loft up there from, uh, I think, uh, 6 to 8. It's a drop-in, so it's your opportunity to uh, step in, drop in uh, with, uh, with these guys and, and get to know them. And then I, I want to say the 18th of February, if, if all goes well, these Men will be appointed as elders. And then at that time, some of the existing elders will rotate off. And that's what we mean about refreshing a board. And um, they'll rotate off. It's, it's also not the end of a process because we believe that the, the number, you know, the, the Holy Spirit seems to indicate to us it's about 10 to 12 elders that, that we need for a church our size. It's one elder board over Brentwood Franklin, okay? One church, Brentwood Franklin, one elder board over Brentwood Franklin, and so one elder board over our two locations. In the coming year, we hope to add two to three more lay elders to this team. Our bylaws state there was, must always be a majority of lay elders. That's true right now. It's always been true. Um, and so as, even as we bring these staff on, there's some staff on here who are elders that happen to be paid, we still remain a majority of lay elders, which would be those who aren't paid by the church. Everybody clear on that? And I'm open to any questions you may have as we, as we go through even our text today. I'd like you to ponder something with me. It's something that we don't, it's like something that's true. We couldn't live without it, but we don't think about it that much. I want you to think of the word trust. Trust. 
I really don't believe you can live without it. In fact, uh, you, you, you have, you're here today because uh, you trusted. You wouldn't be sitting here, here it, 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 at least in this way. You actually put your life and your family's life, if you have kids, your kid's life, what's more valuable than that? Well, I don't think there's anything more valuable than that. But you actually put them at risk coming here today because you drove. And as you drove, uh, there, were, there were other cars coming at you fast. They're like a missile, quite frankly. And you, you, you drove and you came and you trusted that they would stay on their side of a strip of paint. Because if they hadn't, you, you really would, it would you'd, you'd kill you. You know, if you, you don't drive like that in, in some places in Africa, do you? Those of you who have been there, you won't last long. But you trusted. Or, you know, some of you will get on a plane to, later today, maybe Monday or whatever, this business travel. Some of you will be in another city or even here. You'll take a Lyft or, or an Uber. And I want you to think about this. And, and uh, You know, at one level, you are taking your life and you are literally trust entrusting your life to someone pilot of the plane whatever people driver of the uber you're entrusting your life to them i mean it didn't, didn't get any bigger than this and you don't even know them like you don't even know them and you do it and you go well look that's it's not silly it's that i it's this idea in the sense of you know you there there are people you don't know that you entrust your life to why do i start here around trust well, let me unpack that a little bit as we move into some texts I want us to look at. If I summarized the message of the Bible, which it can be done a number of different ways, one way I might say the message of the Bible comes to us is that God, through his actions and his words, from Genesis to Revelation, screams, yells, whispers, speaks, you can trust me, you can you can trust me. If I said, let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy and we read a passage, that passage at some level would be saying, you can trust me. God speaking to us over and over, over and over again. And why would God need to repeat himself? Because I mean this, it's, it's repeated. Why would he need to just keep telling us, you can, tr- you can trust me? You, you over and over. What, I'm asking you, what would be some reasons why God has to repeat himself over and over through the Bible? You can trust me. What would be some reasons we need to be told over and over? What could be? We forget. We forget. What else? Fear. Doubt, fear. All, all of those things. And let me, let me add this. Because life and circumstances scream a different message. You can't trust God. I mean, you're not going to go through this week without something coming at you that says, you can't trust God if you go to your Bible. What was the first thing that, the, that Satan said to Eve? What, what, what was it? He, he didn't say that. You see what I'm saying? Life, I'm telling you, circumstances conspire for you toward you and I to say you can't trust him. So God says, you can trust me, you can trust me. Now, I'm starting with trust because in our study through the book of Acts, um, we're looking at God's plan A, okay? This is going to connect the dots. The church, the local gathering, those who've trusted Christ, is God's plan A for the world, 
for the universe to take his message of salvation, trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the fruitfulness of the local church, ours and Rolling Hills and all that are around here, good church, the fruitfulness of, of our mission, so to speak, is, is literally tied to how much we'll, we'll trust him. Everybody with me on that? So it's like, you gotta trust God, not if you're with me. I, I, that's, the, that's at the core of, um, of our fruitfulness. Now, here's where the rub comes. It's, it, it is that we trust God, yes, but it means trusting God through the leadership that he gives. Oh, now wait a minute. I can trust God. Just don't ask me to trust this person. You see, this is where the rub comes, isn't it? It's kind of like, we all want to say, oh, I trust God. But, you know, in the Bible, there's no trusting of God apart from trusting the leadership, the person or persons that he places to lead. And this is where it gets really difficult. And yet, again, from Genesis to Revelation, how does God reveal himself and his plan of redemption? Through people he places as leaders of his people. And if I can say this, and gosh, you know, today, I don't know, I'm 57, you know, old people like, older people like me, I started to say old people, I'm going, wait, I'm not old, I'm older. (laughs) Old people, older people like me um, say these things, you know, to young people say, it's never been like this before, but I I don't know, has, has, has has the confidence in leadership been, ever been at the level it is today, honestly. I'm talking about government, of course, but I'm also talking about church. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about, it's like we don't trust leaders. It's, it's kind of getting in the water, and it's quite disturbing, to be honest. How we as God's people respond to the leaders he gives us will determine our fruitfulness, honestly, you all, our spiritual growth, our joy, our peace, our hope. It, it's, it's that, that important. Well, this is the first of three deep dives. Actually, they're not all deep dives. I take that back. It's the first of three messages we're going to do that focus around leadership in the church. We're in the book of Acts. We're watching how God is birthing the church. We get to see the birth of the church. We get to see him kind of get organized in Acts 6. Hey, this is trouble. People aren't getting fed. Well, let's get these men and do this. And, and then we're actually going to get to see how God leads the church and how he he places leadership within the church we're going to do that today next week you're going to get to meet these men right here on this stage and then when we appoint these men into the office we're going to dive again into the text to say what do elders do so so again we're in acts but we're kind of going deeper on a concept within acts there's two things i want to do this morning i want to talk about the model of god's leadership and the measure of God's leaders. Okay, so this just get this in your head. The model, what's the model of leadership in, in the church, as we see it in the book of Acts, in the epistles? And then what's the measure of a leader? Now, I'm going to be moving pretty quickly. I'm going to be covering a lot of ground. You're going to see some stuff come up on the screens. All of it is on the website. 
Like I'm providing an outline of this message. You don't have to jot the notes as much. I hope you don't have to jot notes as much as you just listen and, and pay attention to what the Spirit is saying. I want you to be aware of that. Let's start here. We're in God's model. Take a look at God's model. We're in the book of Acts, so I want you to stay there and go to Acts chapter 14. A number of passages we'll cover. Stick with me. Acts chapter 14. Uh, verse 23. What we're reading here is a summary of Paul's first missionary journey. So the apostle Paul goes out into the the world to him then, and he, he tells people about Jesus. And some come to believe and put faith in Christ. And when they do, they start meeting together. And they do things like we saw in Acts 2.42. They, they, they gather to pray and to, to read the scriptures and to encourage one another to share a meal together. And what we're seeing here is at the end of a year and a half work that he did, he's heading back with Barnabas back to Jerusalem, okay? And as he's coming back, we're going to see a summary statement of what he's doing as he's returning to Jerusalem. This is uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Notice it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. People start meeting together. Paul says, We're gonna, I'm going to appoint elders, plural, to lead this gathering. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. This is the end of the third missionary journey. So we're years past the first one, and now it's the third journey that Paul has been on. He's returning again. He's on his way back, and we're going to spend a little time here in Acts chapter 20, so stay there. Verse 17, notice what he says. It says, from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus, a place where he had been, and there's a church, and called to him the elders of the church, elders of plural. So again, we're talking about a model, okay? Now, it's not detailed, but what we seem to see in the book of Acts is that, that Paul and the apostles appoint elders who seem to function in some, some measure of leadership capacity in these gatherings called the ecclesia, the, what we call the church, the called out ones. Everybody with me on that? It seems to be the, the model. Now, there's two other things really important in Acts chapter 20 I want you to see. One has to do with terminology, Okay, some, some grammar and terminology that'll help us as you read other parts. And the other has to do with who appoints elders. Okay, he says, he calls the elders of the church in verse 17. I want you to slip over, turn your eyes to verse 20, uh, 28. And I want you to notice he's still talking to the, he's talking to these elders now. Notice what he says. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I do the New American Standards, what I'm teaching from. I thought we were talking about elders. And now Paul says, who God has made you overseers. Which is it, Paul? Are they overseers or are they elders? And then notice he says this, it goes on, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherd. We'll see in First Peter that, that elders are called shepherds, shepherd the flock. Okay, so we got this problem right now. Are they elders, are they overseers, or are they shepherds? Which is it? Hey, that's really good. Yes, they're all. 
I want you to look at it. I've got a slide. You can look at this. Elder is uh, presbyteros. What word do we get out of presbyteros? What word do we get? Presbyterian. Okay, I'm going to try better on this one. How about this overseer? It's called episcopos. What's the word we get out of that? Episcopal. Yeah. And then the, the, the last one is puimeno. Puimeno is shepherded, and it's also the translation for pastor. Okay? In the, I've got a statement under here. The next slide, we've got a statement that tells this. Someone said this. An elder is an overseer, is a shepherd. Everybody with me? When we read another passage in a minute, you're going to go, wait. And by the way, the, uh, the uh, episcopos also is often translated bishop. You know, that, so where do people come up with the word bishop? Episcopos. But an elder is a bishop, is a shepherd. That's what we believe the Bible's teaching. Now, an elder comes out of Judaism, and it really does reflect olderness. It's, it's maturity. An elder's a more mature man. Uh, the idea of the overseer, what does oversee mean? It means to oversee, to administrate. It means to, to rule in some sense. So, so, so an elder is, is older. He's also an overseer. He, he rules. He has oversight over something. And then the last one, uh, shepherd. You know, the idea of a shepherd is he takes care of the flock. He feeds the flock. He protects the flock. Everybody see that? So all three of those come together to combine what we would say is an, is an elder, <laughs> is a pastor, uh, is an overseer of the church. Now, we, we use the term an elder. Okay? It encompasses all of those. Secondly, I want you to look at verse 28 again, and I'm going to read it. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Ultimately, who appoints elders in the church according to this text? Say it out loud. And I want that to sit in for a moment, sit on us for a moment. Well, I didn't know it. the Holy Spirit didn't do it. Paul did. Well, Paul, filled with the Spirit, appointed, but ultimately God says, I'm the one who appoints elders in the church. And I want us to feel that, you all. Because the implications of that are pretty profound. We're in the process of appointing elders. I've had five men that you've looked at here. There have been elders who've been leading this church from the almost you know a year after I came to help plant the church, you know, appointed as an elder. All of them appointed by the Holy Spirit. As I'm going to show you, they're not perfect men. I mean, you have to agree with them all the time. But God says, I'm the one who puts elders in the church. Two things clear from these passages in Acts. Leadership in the church is always without exception a plurality. Men and women, you can't read the book of Acts. You won't see anywhere in there speaking of a a single elder over a church. It's always in the plurality. And secondly, the Holy Spirit identifies and appoints elders in the church. Well, how does the Holy Spirit do it? I, we don't know exactly, okay, but 
Like most things in the Bible, there's some guidelines, but you know, it's not a rule book. It's not a policy manual. Well, what do we see? What are some principles we can gather about how the Holy Spirit uses men to appoint other men as elders and ultimately it being the Holy Spirit? Well, we're going to jump ahead 30 years. So we're leaving Acts and we're going 30 years into the future. Paul is dying and he takes his pen and he writes to two young pastors. And now think about this. He's got now 30 years of experience planting churches, shepherding the body. And what was happening in Acts, we all know this is transitional. There's some weird things that happen in Acts that really don't happen still today. But Paul now reflects back and he, and he, and he, he codifies, if I can say it that way, what, the, the, the measure of elders. And we get some principles here for how we even see the Holy Spirit install them. So I'm moving from the model, a plurality of, of, of godly men. a plurality That's the model that lead the church. Now let's look at the measure of those men. Turn to 1 Timothy, and then we're going to turn to Titus. And I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to walk through them. Through them. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. God's measure of those who lead the church. Chapter 3, verse 1, he writes to Timothy and says, It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. And oh, wait a minute. He's, he's talking about overseers here. I thought he was talking about elders. What would you say to that? He's talking about elders. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside, literally, outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Flip over, I flip over two pages in my Bible, no, five pages in my Bible, and I get to Titus. Titus, young pastor, he writes again too, and he hits one of the same topics. By the way, he's on the island of Crete, and Crete has a reputation when you read the book of Titus. Crete is full of liars, and it's funny when you read it. It's like he's addressing that. Well, he says this about elders, verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete in order that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. There you go. Now, this is 30 years after the book of Acts. He's still appointing elders. Appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So, so every man who meets these qualifications, I want you to stand. Just kidding, right? None of us would stand. It's like, are you kidding? This is a massive list. Um, but there are some, can I say this? There are some of you 
eldering. And you are qualified based on this. Literally, you are, now, you're not in the office, and you may never be in the office. But you are eldering. And in seasons of a church, the existing elders identify those who are already eldering, and you are. And some of those will go into the office. Not all. It's God's providence and sovereignty, but some will in time. And that's what we're experiencing right now. Um, I, I like to read magazines, you know, uh, especially when I'm traveling. And I'm always grabbing business magazines. I like reading them. And uh, one of those is Inc. Magazine. Shorter articles, good stuff on leadership, team, those type of things. I saw a, an article by Lolly Daskal. She's a, got a company and she's one of their contributors. But she made this statement and I, I wrote it. I, I got it because it fits so well with this. She's speaking of business, okay? But listen to the truth of what she says. Trust is not a matter of technique, tricks, or tools, but of character. We are trusted because of our way of being, not because of our polished exteriors or our expertly crafted communications, end quote. She is true and biblical in what she says. Uh, it, it's what a person is on the inside. God identified David as the second king. And you remember that? He said, oh, you're looking on the outside. You're looking at the tall guy. You're looking at the strong guy. You're looking at the cute guy. You look, but I'm looking at the guy whose heart internally <laughs> is mine. And the same with elders. It's not their outward appearance. It is the DNA of their character. Okay? Well, what, what is that DNA? Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to move quickly. I'm only going to camp on the ones that might be a little more difficult, okay? Um, to, to grasp it, there is, a, there is an overarching qualification. It's the umbrella statement. It's mentioned three times in those two passages. I'm going to talk about that. And then under it, there are, you could do this any way you want, but I'm picking four categories, okay, that fit under this and all these qualifications. I'm blending First Timothy and Titus. You blend it and you'll see, oh, some overlap and then there's some unique to Timothy and there's some unique to Titus. And that's how I'm going to do this and move through it. So the overarching uh, qualification and then four uh, breakouts, if you will, categories. The first is personal character, domestic responsibilities, spiritual maturity, and then finally, it's your public reputation. Again, this is on the web and these will come up. Follow along as I move through them. The all-encompassing overarching requirement is that a man be above reproach. Above reproach. The word literally means that a, that, that, that a man be such that he's uh, not able to be held. That's the literal Greek. And you go, what does that mean? Well, we can get it this way. You know those climbing walls that are so popular now? Kids may go to them. Maybe you do them. You go to a climbing wall and there's just this wall that goes up and on that wall, they have placed little nooks and crannies and then they've placed little ledges, right? You know, everybody know what I'm talking about? So that when you do the climbing wall, you reach up and there's just one little thing you can grab and you grab your fingers on it and that's just enough, just enough for you to get your hand on the next thing and you grab onto. And that's how you climb the wall. To be above reproach is to be a man whose character has no nooks and crannies that that an accusation can grab hold of 
No knobs that can be grabbed. You know what? That guy, I think that guy's a liar. And, and when that comes against that man, and, and we as elders go and investigate that and go, wait, someone said you're a liar. We go to that man and we find there's, there's no place to grab, to grab that. That can't stick on him. It's like throwing spaghetti on the wall, doesn't stick. That accusation doesn't stick. It's like trying to climb a glass wall that's been greased. That's really it. The man must be above reproach. Now, how does that above reproachness, how is that reflected in his life and character? Here's some very observable, tangible things that Paul gives us in these two lists. First, under personal character, he must be temperate, sensible, prudent, self-controlled, respectable, now put all that, when you put all that together, you go, so temperate and sensible is, is literally wineless. It's, um, he's clear-headed, he's mentally sober, prudent, self-controlled, serious about spiritual things, self-controlled, not controlled by outside circumstances, but controlled from within character, uh, respectable, it means to be ordered. When a man is temperate, sensible, prudent, self-controlled, his life reflects order respectable hospitable two greek words to love strangers to love strangers you know in those days no no holiday inns no no places to stay um people stayed with strangers quite frankly an elder must be one who opens his home that's still that's not just cultural that's still true today an elder must be one whose home is open to those in need literally not addicted to wine, accused of dissipation. And that, that means not long beside wine. If you're long beside wine, you're drinking too much. It's to not, you can't be a drunk. Not pugnacious. That's, that idea is not a striker. Uh, uh, peaceable, not quick-tempered. Uh, Barclay says it's someone who doesn't have a quick trigger. But, but, but instead, he's gentle. Okay, so you're not, you're not a puncher, so to speak. You're not gonna, you don't fight back like that, per se. Uh, you're gentle. And then it says peaceable, not quick-tempered. And then it says uh, loving what is good. When, when you think about this idea, of, the idea of not pugnacious, gentle, peaceable, not quick-tempered, I think one way we can get at this is an elder is a man who is not characterized by fits of road rage. Now, I have it sometimes. I don't think, I'm not characterized by it. But you know what I'm talking about when I say that. When you get so, I, I'm going to catch up with that person. And, you know, you just, and then you pull up and all We had one last night. Oh, my gosh. I was in Knoxville yesterday. And this car wouldn't let me parallel park. And I was, my girls are in the car. And I'm going, what's up with that guy? He needs to get, you know, I'm kind of, I'm mad, you know. And finally park and the guy pulls by. And I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to look over at him. You're right. You want to catch their eyes? And it was just totally tinted. Couldn't see in there. <laughs> ah, I wanted to give him that. Not, not that way. I was not very elder-like in that moment. <laughs> Loving what is good, a lover of virtue, free from the love of money, not fond of sordid gain. Listen to me on this. It's not that a, an elder can't be wealthy and have a lot of material possessions. That's not what it says. Not controlled by the pursuit of wealth. Oh my gosh, may God bless you and they have wealth. But you see, an elder is one who sees that wealth not as his own. Man, he prayed it, but as God's. That's all this means. Okay, 
personal character. Let's go to domestic responsibilities. Husband of one wife. It's mentioned in both places. Let me tell you what this does not say. It does not say an elder can't be single. It says if, it, you know, most would have been married, but Paul, Paul applauds singleness as not an incredible opportunity to serve the Lord. So no, it doesn't have, doesn't have to be married. But if married, here's what the word literally means. He is a one-woman man. By the way, it doesn't say that a, a divorced person can't be an elder. That's not what it says. It says that the man who, who, who is an elder and is married to a woman, that woman is his woman and there is no other. It's faithfulness to those vows and to that woman. Some would say it's actually an, it's against polygamy. could be because there was polygamy in that day even more than we probably think. And some might hold that. But we would simply say it's a one-woman Man. Then it says a combination of things. Manages his own household. Children under control with all dignity. Children who believe in Titus, it says, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. I want to unpack this one a little bit because I'm telling you, you read this one, you go, well, no man qualifies. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't based on my kids in, some, in, in, in many ways. Well, to manage is to lead, right? And it's to care for, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Simply means this. If you're a dad, you know, you're, you're, you're leading your family if you're a dad. Um, keeping is in the present tense. So we're talking about a man who has children at home. You know, when, when your kids leave your home and they go do something and you see the news one night and they've done something terrible. That, that's, that's on them, okay? This is when your, your children are at home. Um, what confuses people, Ken, is this idea of having children who believe. So does an el- you can't be an elder unless your children have put their faith in Christ. I don't believe, we don't believe that's what this is, that's what this is saying. Uh, on the one, one of the reasons would simply be this. Salvation is a gift of God. I, you don't know if your kids are going to come to faith in Christ. That's, a, that's of the Lord. You say, well, well, if God wants you to be an elder, he's going to bring your kids to faith. I, I don't think that's true. What he's talking about here, he's contrasting children who believe in this, in, in, in Titus. By the way, in, in, in Titus, when he says children who believe, it literally means children who are faithful and trustworthy. So it's, it's not carrying the idea of children who believe they've placed their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they believe it's true for them. Not that kind of believe, but children who believe are faithful, or, or children who are tr- uh, faithful and trustworthy, contrasts, it says in Titus, with those who are rejecting authority. Okay, accused of just, that's the contrast. Now, so I don't believe, we don't believe it's saying that children has to be, your children have to be Christians. It's not even saying your children have to be perfect. You know, they, they, they can't show some measure of rebellion or, because most do at some level. The question is, as a man, are you engaged and leading your family in the right direction, even though within the family, there's a lot of chaos going on within it. Y'all, I've had chaos and still do in my family. We have three kids. I got a 22-year-old son, 19-year-old daughter, uh, 16-year-old daughter. Um, uh, He's okay with me saying this. Darden didn't come through high school unscathed, okay? Um, In trouble at, at some very high levels, including police and things like that. I just want you to know that. Now, when that was happening, it didn't disqualify, what would have disqualified me as an elder when my son's, honestly, rebelling and kicking the walls down 
would be if I said, well, I'm done. That's not what I did. Because it's not what an elder would do. It's not what a man would do if he loves his son. I got in it with him. You lead in it. You stay in there and move them through the turbulent waters that are just pretty darn common. That's the idea. Is everybody with me on this? That's the idea of a man who leads his family well, domestic responsibilities. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of an aside, and I'm going to tell you this. This stuff is on the web as well. I have been very intentional on this, and this is going to upset some. It's going to make some uncomfortable. Maybe it already has. I've been very intentional when I'm talking about this to say, an elder's a man. An elder's a man. An elder's a man. An elder's a man. Uh, an elder is not a woman. And you know, in our culture today, that, you know, that, that can be very difficult to, to get a hold of. And I've got some principles on the web you can look at, but I'm going to hit them very quickly here. Um, God's, first of all, I want you to understand, God's model of leadership of the church is that he wants it to be reflective of the leadership in the home. That's what First Timothy said, isn't it? If a guy doesn't manage his home well, how's he going to lead the church? So, so, there's, so how does God expect the home to be managed and led? Unapologetically, you know, we've been here in Ephesians. Take, go to Ephesians uh, 3 and uh, Ephesians 5, and, and, and you see that, that God has so created us male and female, distinct and unique, of equal value, but not of the same roles and responsibilities. You can't blend them. Now, the culture today is really blending male and female. The Bible doesn't, and we won't. And so, no, you're a female, and you're male. And it goes beyond your physiology. It's at the root of your image of godness as female and male. And in the home, God says that the man is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, people argue with that word kephale and say, we don't mean source. It doesn't mean a, a higher authority. We think it means a level measure of authority and responsibility that the husband has over with his wife. Such that that's his role and responsibility, a servant leader, and the wife's responsibility and role is to submit to that leadership. And some of you ladies I know are cringing right now, and I, I hate that, but that's not the biblical way. The biblical way is, boy, that your femaleness and your maleness is achieved not by ignoring God's, and these aren't cultural, by the way, when God says this in Ephesians, not ignoring the cultural, but embracing the biblical truth that God says created equal, of equal worth and value, but distinct responsibilities and roles, which is true in everything in life, you know? And that's what we want for you and we want for the church. I have two daughters. I'm married, I have a wife. I so want them to be all that God made them to be and to experience that. And I believe that will occur as they are embrace and enjoy and delight in their femaleness, even as I want my son to embrace, enjoy, and delight in his maleness. And when understood biblically, oh my goodness, this is where beautiful music is made. Distinct, not the same. Boy, in our culture today, we know that that's, that's extremely difficult. Now, the same is true in the church. 
that God has said in the church there will be certain roles that are for men only. Y'all, this is, ladies, this is not a devaluation of you as if, you know, you're not good enough. You're not a leader. Oh my gosh, you're a leader. Oh, you can't teach the Bible. You're a woman. Oh my gosh, ladies, you can teach the Bible amazing ways. But God says in the church that there are two offices, if you will, that are for, 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 for men, qualified men, men of character. The office of elder and what we understand would be, be a teaching pastor role, teaching elder in our church. Those two, that's all. Everything else is open. And I hope you hear that with some, some measure of winsomeness in it, that it's, and it's not to punish or limit. It's actually to, to, to unleash and give you freedom as a woman and men to give you freedom as a man. And I'm, by the way, if, this, if you guys as men don't feel the weight of this, then something's missing. Because any woman in the room who's ever, who's cringing a bit right now going, oh my gosh, I've not, you know. Let me tell you this. Because of the fall, male, female, it's all messed up. Just like everything else. And, And ladies, many of you have experienced men in your life that did not love you like Christ loved the church. It's never changed. Ephesians says that Jesus loved the church enough to die for the church. And if the man in your life does not love you such that he would die for you, then, there, then he's in sin. That's not godly leadership. And I know many of you have experienced it and even do. Whew, okay. Let's move on. Uh, you know, I say who, okay, but I, that doesn't bother me at all because I'm just telling you this is what the Bible teaches and that's what we want. It's what we want for you, honestly, men and women. okay. Uh, how about going on to spiritual maturity? We looked at uh, personal character, um, domestic responsibility, spiritual maturity. Not a new convert, right? They need to be older, able to teach, to exhort, refute, and sound doctrine, holding fast the faithful word. By the way, this is the only qualification that is, um, that's related to giftedness. So, you see what I'm saying? All of them, there's this only one that means giftedness. You've got to be gifted to do these things. And that is not a biblical scholar, but able to explain and teach in sound doctrine. Finally, a God's steward. This is the part I said. An elder can be wealthy, and, and we are. But it's not his wealth, it's God's, because he sees himself as God's steward. Finally, public, rep- public reputation. Last thing he says is a good reputation with those outside the church. And we might go, look, it's our church. Why do we care what outside, people outside think? Well, because, number one, it's not our church, it's God's. And God put this church here for the people outside the church, not for us. It matters. It matters because an elder is one, and we are all in this way. We are here to help people who don't know Jesus know Jesus. And if an elder of the church is known outside by a non-Christian as someone who's a liar and a thief, that's a stumbling block for that person to come to faith in Christ. By the way, it's not true just of an elder. It's true of all of us, isn't it? Okay, four things I'm going to say here, and then we're going to wrap up with a song. And I'm going to ask uh, Mandy and the band to come out, if you would, because I want us to end with a song, because I want us to end with a certain perspective on this whole thing, if they would come up as I wrap this up. Four things, again, on the website. First thing is God's measure of a leader's, char- God's measure of a leader's character is his measure of all who follow him. It's just what I was saying. Y'all, when this says that an elder can't be a drunk, 
but, but a, a person in the church can? That's not what it says. Every qualification is ours, men and women at one sense. This is called spiritual maturity. So it's ours. Don't feel like, oh, these guys have to have a cut above, so to speak. Well, it's for all of us. Secondly, God's invitation to trust his leadership through a plurality of elders is based on their proven character, not their perfect decisions. God's invitation to trust his leadership through a plurality of elders is based on their proven character, not their perfect decisions. I, I, you know, I can't go long here, but I've done this. I talked about this at Brentwood. I'll talk about it here a little bit. You know, no one you deeply trust does everything the way you would. The people you love and deeply trust, you don't always agree with, but you trust them and you stay. This board at Fellowship, listen, I've been on it now almost 20 years. We, we've been through some stuff. And I'm just gonna say, I'm not trying to shame anyone, I'm, but I'm gonna say, going back to this, that it's the Holy Spirit who installs elders. And so we've been through some stuff, some of our own making, some not of our making at all, and, and, and you've disagreed with the elders. That's okay, right? Because you disagree with people you love. And I'm not talking to you who are looking at me, but I'm just gonna say to you, I know people who've left this church because the elders made a decision that they didn't agree with. And I'm just gonna tell you, the elders, the new elders coming on, they will make decisions in the future you don't agree with. And they will make decisions that you don't have all the details. This is a part that just irks me to no end. Is when people, uh, you know, accuse a board of, of a decision, but they weren't in all the decision making. It'd be like me coming to you going, I disagree with how, you know, the decisions you made for your family and you're raising your kids. And I hope you'd look at me and go, I don't care because you're not in my, you don't, you're not even in the family meetings. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, I know I'm, I feel, I wish I was speaking at a different church because I would be just as strong. But I know when I say this here, it can feel like, boy, he's being defensive because he's an elder. And the truth of the matter is in my flesh I am. But I'm also trying to say to you, it's a serious thing for me. You understand I'm under the elders. So it's a serious thing for me to accuse or say. And There's stuff on the web that you know, has been written about this board that makes me sick. And I'll just tell you this. An elder would never write something on a website or on a blog or on Facebook about, another, about leadership in a church. I'm just telling you. It's not right. Third, God's invitation to trust his leadership through a plurality of elders whose character is, character is proven is his gift to ensure that their leadership is a reflection of his. You understand plurality? You understand there's not one man seeking the mind of God, but a plurality of men seeking the mind of God. And not just any men, but men whose character has been proven. Can an elder go wild, go rogue? Yes, yes, of course. Can elders make mistakes? Of course. But prayerfully, God says there's going to be more than one who submit to one another so that then when they're seeking the mind of God, they're willing to call each other out and go, that's not the mind of God, buddy. We need to take more time. You know what I'm saying? So that in the plurality, from a character-based perspective, they seek the mind of God and seek to lead this church as as they believe the Spirit is leading. And in that way, you know, you don't have one person that says, I know the mind of God. It's a plurality that says we think, and it's always been this way. We think 
this is the mind of God. And we humbly present it to you, even though this hurts or is challenging. And this is the way we think God's leading us. What a gift that God puts leadership like that. And finally, God's invitation to trust his leadership through a plurality of elders whose character is proven is plan A. There's not another plan. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this song. Very intentionally, we chose it this way. Because ultimately, y'all, it's, listen, it's not about the elders. It's, it's about God. And it's about us and our response to his leadership. And God has said to, to the Philippian church, he said, the work that I've begun in you, Paul says, he'll be faithful to complete it. When he says that, by the way, he's speaking to a church. Now, we take that individually. How many of us don't say it? But, you know, sometimes we say, God began a good work in me and he's going to finish it. That's true. But the passage is actually to a church gathered church. And so I want you to know, in the midst of the trials and challenges we've been through as a church, and the ones that are coming, God has said, I'm going to finish it. His promises are yes and amen. And I want to affirm that. I want us to affirm that even as we continue in this process. Let's do that with our voices.